Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a great joy to be back with you again and uh, just see how you're developing this wonderful facility so well, serving the community here so well, and uh, it's just magnificent. I'm so delighted to be back uh, with you, and I'm glad to respond to the invitation to speak about receiving the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 1. If you'd like to follow, I'm only going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1, and uh, we read these extraordinary statements of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, it says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, thank you so much for the words of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that he brought. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you for your incarnation, your becoming flesh, a human being, walk the earth. Thank you for your death on our behalf, dying in our place. Lord, your triumph over death. Lord, we just worship you. We're amazed that we have the privilege of knowing you. Now, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit might come upon us now. Come and be our teacher, Lord. Come shape our thinking. May we hear you in our hearts in such a way that we are captivated by truth, empowered by the Spirit, led into everything you have for us, Father, please. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many have said that verse 8, which I've just read to you, is the explanation for the extraordinary development of the early church. If you've read the Gospels, you're not only impressed with the life of Jesus Christ, this incredible, amazing life that he lived. But you're also going to stumble on the fact that his disciples were very unimpressive. Uh, they very often didn't understand what he was talking about. They very often got things wrong. Uh, they were decidedly unimpressive people. Uh, when it came to the crunch, when it came to the fact that their leader was snatched away by the soldiers, uh, taken from their presence, in spite of Jesus having warned them and said, look, difficult times are coming. Peter, be careful. You find, no, they, they all deny him. They flee from him. They're not incredibly uh, uh, impressive band of brothers with their leader. They just run away. And, uh, and yet, within a, a short space of time, 
Initially in Jerusalem, 3,000 people become Christians, and then 5,000, and then on it goes, even invading Rome and the whole Roman Empire and, the, and the, the incredible sweeping development of Christianity, which now goes around the world, had this extraordinary turning point. How was it that these very unimpressive guys had such impact? What happened to them? Well, it says in verse 8, what many have called the, the key to the understanding of the book of Acts, which says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's another dimension going to come to you, another dynamic which will equip you to do what I've told you to do. Jesus had told them they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, is to make disciples of the nations, incredible universal commission to them to bring impact to nation after nation after nation, which of course has now happened down through the running years. Amazing, extraordinary commission to these guys. But he said, now look, wait, don't start until... You are empowered. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we know, if we've read our Bibles in Acts chapter 2, how that actually happened. The Holy Spirit, they were waiting on God. They were sitting, praying, some 120 of them by then, just waiting for God. And suddenly, this outbreak of power from heaven. Now, when Jesus said this uh, to these disciples, uh, they were men of Jewish background, And so when he said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, it wasn't a completely unknown concept. It wasn't like, what on earth are you talking about? No, no, they would have read their Bibles, they would have read what we call our Old Testament, and there they would have read how, for instance, a man called David, Samuel poured oil on his head, And it says the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon David from that time on. He became a great warrior. He became a great king. And it says the Spirit of God came upon him. You read about Gideon. uh, And particularly Gideon, he's shown to be a bit like Simon Peter, rather a coward. He's hiding away. He's supposed to be uh, uh, dealing with the, the wheat, separating the wheat from the chaff. He's supposed to be doing that. Well, you usually do that where there's a breeze to separate. Well, he's so scared, he's doing it in a cave, which is a bit stupid, really. Uh, he's kind of turning over the wheat. There's no breeze there. It's just a waste of time, really. And God comes into him and speaks to him. And then it says this, the Spirit clothed Gideon. The Spirit came upon Gideon, and he became a phenomenal warrior. He led just 300 men against tens of thousands with a great victory. And again, what was the clue? The Spirit of God came upon him. And you'll find a number of people in the Old Testament. Samson, the Spirit of God came on him. Great power came on him. Moses was a man enabled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God came to people and changed them from being just normal people into people supernaturally empowered. God did that again and again. And not only for one generation, he said to Moses, now Moses, you must lay hands on Joshua so that he can continue what you started. So Moses laid hands on Joshua for the Spirit of God to come upon Joshua. You find that Elijah served God in the power of the Spirit. And one day he said to Elisha, you're the one who's going to continue this ministry. And Elisha said, look, if I'm going to do what you did, I definitely need the same power that you had. And if you know the Bible again, you'll find that he pursued Elijah, said, I must have, I must have the power that you had. 
And you read that wonderful story how the Spirit of God came on Elisha and he continued the ministry that Elijah started. So when Jesus said to these guys, wait until you receive power, they've got reference to that. They can see that in the Old Testament. They can even see one day when Moses said to God, Lord, I can't cope with this huge crowd of people. There's some two million people he's leading through the wilderness. And Moses says, Lord, help, Lord, help. And God says, okay, choose out some 70 elders. And these 70 men come. And he says, I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on the 70. And so these 70 wait, and there comes this extraordinary moment when the Spirit comes on the 70, and they start prophesying, and they begin to be equipped supernaturally to do what Moses had been doing alone. So there's interesting uh, stories in the Old Testament of people being changed by the Spirit coming upon them. So Jesus is saying to these guys, who've been with him for three years now, They've heard his teaching. They've been his disciples. Now listen, there's more for you. Don't even start. It's even more marked in Luke 24. Don't begin until, until you're empowered. And they've got this Old Testament background. Now another interesting thing is that Joel in the Old Testament, one of those prophets in the Old Testament, he said this, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Now, in the Old Testament, the people who got filled with the Spirit were usually special people, like kings or judges or prophets. They were supernatural individuals. And usually, very often, there's only one in a generation. You might go and see Samuel the prophet. He, he, he traveled around the nation, or he's the, pro- he's the current prophet. You might, get a, you might be lucky and be in town when he comes to town. Or Elijah stands alone. And these men tend to be lonely figures, empowered by God. But the Old Testament promises this, in the end times, which means after the resurrection of Christ. It's what the Bible calls the end times, the last days. I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Not just special guys, your sons and daughters. Old men will dream dreams. Supernatural dreams, that is, not the stuff I have after I've eaten cheese late at night. (laughs) Dreams that have revelation about them. Your young men will see visions. There's going to be a supernatural dimension that's not restricted to isolated people. It's going to be broadly the experience of the church. The church at large is going to enter into this new covenant experience where everyone shall know me, from the least to the greatest. It's not going to be, oh, you better go and ask the prophet, he'll know. No, everyone shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. There's there's going to come an intimacy, there's going to come an awareness of the presence of God, unprecedented in Bible history. In Bible history, men like Moses, they went and talked to God, came back from encounters with God, their face shining, and told the people, this is what God says. The people didn't really have that access In the New Testament, by virtue of the Spirit being on us, we all have access. By one Spirit, the Bible says, we have access to God. We can know Him intimately. You can know Him at home. You can know Him in the supermarket. You can just know God around you. You can be with Him in a supernatural dimension, talking to Him, He being close to you. So these guys are transformed from being 
ineffective, even very scared, like Simon Peter, when a little girl said to him, aren't you with Jesus? He said, no, I don't know Jesus. I'm not with him. Three times he said, no, I'm not with him. I don't know him. And then the Spirit came upon him. And that same guy, just a few weeks later, he's standing before the people and saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we're witnesses. He now, exalted to the right hand of God, has poured out this. He's absolutely transformed. What on earth happened? Well, the Spirit fell upon him. He was changed from being a coward to being a powerful instrument. Now, I mean, that's historically interesting. But is it of interest to you and me? Well, certainly for myself, when I first became a Christian and I began to look at Simon Peter before Pentecost, I thought, hmm, that's me. That's me. That's so often that's me. I don't get it right. And also, I, I, yeah, I tend to back off. Jesus said, you'll be, when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be witnesses. I very often was not a witness. I wanted to be a witness, but I, I, I ducked it many times. And, and for me, it began to grow in urgency. I thought, Lord, is there, is there some way I can be changed? Can I, how does this fit for me? These men have been following you for some years. They're, they're followers of Jesus. John says in, 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 it's, Jesus says in John 15, you are clean through the word I've spoken to you. You are branches in the vine. You're engaged with me. You're my people. But still, they can have an empowering. And I began to think, is that possible for me? Can, can my life be changed? And I began to long to know something more. And I guess like some of us do, I, I started reading what the, the great teachers say. So I, I, I read what John Stott says. Great Bible teacher, John Stott. And he says, no, there is no more. That's it. You, you become a Christian. You just keep growing in God. And, uh, and then I read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said, yes, there is. There's more. There's more. I thought, oh, dear. These are my two heroes, John Stott and Lloyd-Jones. And they disagree. So what chance is there for me to work it out? I'll never be able to work it out. And I, I kind of gave up and just plodded along, really. And, and then I, I really had an experience which made me so hungry, so hungry. Uh, I was one Sunday, it came to mind. I'll just try and feed in my little testimony as I'm going through this Bible story with you. Uh, one Sunday, I, I just led a little Bible study uh, early afternoon. We used to have a little Bible study early Sunday afternoon. And uh, I went to a church in Brighton and a Baptist church. And uh, I, I then went for a walk because I was going to go to the evening meeting as well. In those days, you went morning and evening if you were keen. And uh, uh, So I'm walking along Brighton Seafront, and there's a group of elderly ladies, and there's a crowd. And if you know Brighton at all, there's a top promenade and a lower promenade uh, at the fish market, and they're giving their testimony, or they're speaking, and they're holding up banners, repent and stuff, and singing... And it's chaos. And they're getting cigarette packets thrown at them and apple cores. And, and, it, and it's terrible. And I'm thinking, I'm hiding behind my sunglasses. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is awful. Awful. This is terrible. What on earth? This is such a shame. And I felt God said to me, well, actually, in the Bible, I asked young men to do that, not frail elderly ladies. And uh, so what about you? I said, no, I'm not going to speak on the street in Brighton. Come on. And then there's two men in front of me. And one's talking to the other and says, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in their church? And I thought, well, at least speak to him. He's just there. 
and I couldn't again, again, again. I couldn't do it. I just, and I, that really, God gave me an experience that I guess changed my life because I thought I cannot live like this any longer. I can't bear it. And, and, I, and I went home and I cried to God, little please. And I used to have lunch sometimes with a, a friend in London, and he. He was so different to me. We, we, he was a friend of a mutual friend, and we'd have lunch occasionally. And, and I phoned him on the Monday morning. I, I, went to, I used to work in London. I phoned him. I said, can I see you at lunchtime? Yeah, sure. So I often had lunch with him, or occasionally did. And whenever I arrived, you know, if he's in a cafe somewhere, sometimes you're sharing a table, there's people sitting there. When I turn up, he's always witnessing. By the time I get there, he's witnessing. And I, and I said to him, look, Derek, tell me, what is it with you? He said, oh, I've received the Holy Spirit. I said, come on, tell me. He said, well, come to my church next Sunday. We'll lay hands on you. And that was a turning point for me. It really changed things. I came to the point where I thought, Lord, I must know the answer. I'd like to just take you through a kind of Bible study that he helped me to see. You know, we can just look at the day of Pentecost and say, well, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. But these men... They, it's hard to identify with them because they were followers of Jesus even before the cross, before the resurrection, before the day of Pentecost. They, they were kind of going through the whole thing with him. But what happened to people afterwards? Because that's where we can say, well, that's, what, that's us. That's where we fit after these great events. So I'm just going to show you a few places and then we'll bring out from them some common features and our bring to you what I believe the Bible teaches on this theme. Okay, so I'm just going to look quick at Acts chapter 8. As I say, we could look at Acts 2, but I'm not going to. It's very familiar, and it's also difficult because, well, you know, they were Christians, but before the cross, what does that mean? Well, what about Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, it says, because Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and here the Gospels got to Samaria. And there's an evangelist whose name is Philip, And in Acts chapter 8, it says in verse 12, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. All right, so here we get people who have received the gospel through the preaching of Philip. They've responded to that gospel. It's a very clear presentation They've been baptized, so they are undoubtedly Christians. And yet there's this kind of delay while the message gets back to Jerusalem. Hey, there's a number of people become Christians there. And the apostles travel down, lay hands on them, and the Spirit comes upon them. That's a separate time. Now, when I began to research and think, well, is it possible? Well, some teachers would say, no, there is no more. There is no more. You've, once you become a Christian, you are, that's it. That's it, really. You just grow in grace. You grow in grace. You, there's, not a, there's nothing extra. There's nothing further. But here, in Acts 8, well, there was for these guys. For these guys, they were saved. 
They became Christians. They're even baptized. And then later, hands are laid upon them and the Spirit falls upon them. Now, if you turn over in Acts 9, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on each of these, but just to notice the common features. Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is converted on the Damascus Road. It's the most famous conversion in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's called Saul of Tarsus. He hates the church. He's, he's accusing them of, of blasphemy. He's trying to destroy them. And suddenly, Jesus comes to him. And later, he says, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness has shone in our hearts, giving us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The man has been saved. He's come to God. And yet, what often is overlooked is that in verse 17 of Acts 9, an unknown guy called Ananias, not Peter or John, not an apostle, different for the last one then, but Ananias nevertheless comes to him, enters the house, and lays hands on him. You don't tend to lay hands on people for conversion. He lays hands on him. He says, brother Saul, he's a Christian brother now, not a hateful Pharisee, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul is converted on the Damascus Road. Then three days later, if we read the whole story, three days later Ananias lays hands upon him to receive the Holy Spirit. Quite clearly another experience and one which came through the laying on of hands. So that's in common with what happened in Acts 19. Then we'll just go to Acts 8. Now we'll just quickly look at Acts 19. Acts chapter 19, you'll find in Acts 19, Paul, and this is a very interesting one, I think. Paul comes to Ephesus. This is the last one we're looking at. We're just looking at three today. Paul comes to Ephesus. And he finds some disciples. Turns out to be a dozen guys. And, and it's interesting. It says, found some disciples, it says in the first verse. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. He said to them, said to them into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. All right, so let's just back up a bit. It says they were disciples, but what becomes clear is they've heard the message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist led Israel to the biggest revival in Jewish history, really. It says all Judea went out to hear John. And many were repenting and being baptized by John. So John was massively significant at that time. So much so the king put him in prison because he's causing all kinds of trouble for him. He's a phenomenon in that day. And the message had traveled as far as Ephesus. So here's 12 guys which Paul, when he first meets, thinks they're Christian, finds actually, no, 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 they're disciples of John the Baptist. That's as far as they've got. They don't know what Paul's speaking about yet, which becomes increasingly clear as we read on. He says, what were you baptized into? John's baptism. Paul, verse 4, said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. In other words, John the Baptist is preaching a get-ready message, wasn't it? 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent. John came in advance. He was the one preparing the way. That's as much as he said. So Paul says that. And then he he tells him about Jesus. All these sermons are always obviously very much uh, praises of what was actually said. Because then it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they now become Christians. Right, they now, they've heard John the Baptist, as I'm sure many did. Many were baptized by John the Baptist. Even some of Jesus' early disciples had been with John the Baptist first. And now they hear about Jesus. Oh, wow. Now they're baptized. In other words, now they become Christians. And then it's interesting to see what happened. Then, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men. So here's an interesting development. It's almost like the Samaritan story condensed into one day. In the Samaritan story, Philip preached, and lots of people heard it, responded to it, were baptized. Then a few days later, people came and laid hands on them. Here, it's all happening in one day. He leads them to Christ. He baptizes them. And then it's almost like they're still dripping with baptismal water and they lay hands on them, he lays hands on them and the Spirit falls upon them. And they speak in tongues and they prophesy. There's a supernatural dimension that follows this laying on of hands and the Spirit coming. Okay, so let's just back up then and look at these three stories. The teaching that says you've received everything, well... It's not true for everybody. Let's at least say that. It wasn't true for these people. They received the Spirit separate to the day they received salvation, the day that they were saved, using a Bible word. They received power subsequent to it. Even like Peter and the others did, though Peter lived through all these things. These people who were saved after the resurrection, after the event of the cross... They're led to Christ, then subsequently hands are laid upon them and the Spirit comes upon them. And very often accompanied by supernatural events, a kind of evidence, a kind of demonstration that God's here, God's amongst us. It's not just a mental thing. It's not just, okay, I agree with this. It's not even say, yes, Lord, I I own you as my Lord. I will be baptized. I will give you my life from now on. There is an empowering that takes place. And that's what we read about here. And it's clear. You see, which, what I find was this. If you, if you ask some who say, no, you've received everything at conversion, and that's all there is to say about it. If you say to them, well, are, are you filled with the Spirit then? Usually the answer would be, well, I wouldn't say filled with the Spirit. You know, that's something I'll grow into. I'll gradually experience more. I will grow in that. As a, as a, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm filled, but yeah, I've received everything there is, but I'll gradually grow into it. That's the kind of language you'll hear in the conversation. But if you ask these Ephesians, have you been filled with the Spirit? They said, no. Then he lays hands on them and says, have you received the Spirit now? I don't think they say, well, we're gradually. I think they say, yeah, yes, yes, I'm filled with the Spirit now. You see, it, didn't, it wasn't, if you're going to be biblical, it isn't that what we gradually grow into that. In the Bible, the Spirit came upon them. 
That's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to insist upon. As he used to say, look at the prepositions. The Spirit fell upon them. Fell upon them. And you'll find some, dear John Wimber, who is a wonderful, wonderful man of God and a very dear friend of mine personally, he had a teaching which said, well, you've received the Spirit when you're saved, but it's gradually released within you. It's gradually released within you. But you don't find the apostles coming down to the Samaritans and say, well, look, okay, you've received everything, uh, but it'll gradually get released. And then they laid hands on them, and the Spirit came upon them. There's no idea of what will gradually be released. They have not yet received the Spirit. That's what it says. They says they laid hands on them, and they did. I mean, it's biblical. It's what the Bible says. And so we want, I want to be a biblical Christian. We want to build biblical churches. And here it is. The Spirit came upon them. And, of course, this is one of the things that's been happening in the church around the world, a rediscovery of this aspect of Christianity, which has led to such phenomenal church growth across the, across the nations, especially places like South America and Africa in the Far East, this rediscovery of the Holy Spirit's power, which is just making the church grow phenomenally. And that would also be true in the UK, where many a church is closing down. You'll find where people are opening up to the Spirit. Hey, there are... Things are on the move. And so it's not just a, a, an idea. It's, it can be demonstrated from facts and statistics. Okay, so let's just notice this. When I was searching, I met people who said, no, you've already received it. Then I met other people who were called Pentecostals. And Pentecostals seem to be saying, when I was looking in, wondering, you have to wait uh, and, and, and someone would go to what they call tarrying meetings, because that's what it says in the old King James, they would tarry, until what? Well, until you speak with tongues. They, read, they just really, actually what they were doing was looking at the day of Pentecost. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They're waiting, the Spirit fell upon them, they spoke in tongues, and, and they, they, they developed a doctrine which called initial evidence. It's like, wait until that happens, then you're through. Now, is that what the Bible says? See, I don't think the Bible actually says that, apart from the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, they're told, wait, or just prior to the day of Pentecost, wait until, and then it happens on the day of Pentecost. But after the day of Pentecost, no one is ever told, go and wait. No one. When Philip came down to Samaria, or at least when the apostles came down, and Philip had seen these many people saved, the apostles didn't come down and say, oh, okay, you better find an upper room somewhere. They just laid hands on them. The Spirit came. With Paul, Ananias didn't say to Paul, uh, Paul, you're going to be an apostle one day, you better find an upper room. You better go and wait somewhere. He just laid hands on him. The Spirit came upon him. These guys who've just been saved, they'd just been saved. They're still wet with baptismal water. They didn't wait. They'd hardly become Christians. The Spirit fell upon them. I, I, I was in Bulgaria like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I heard about an, an amazing revival. I didn't know it had happened in 1994-5, about that time. And they were telling me hundreds of people were being saved on the streets. They were often getting filled with the Spirit very soon afterwards. And it was like a breakout of supernatural power was happening all over the place. Many, many were being saved, being flooded with the Spirit. God gives the Spirit. Now, why were the early guys told to wait? If you turn with me to John 7, we'll just close down by looking very closely 
at a few verses here. John 7, I believe, is the actual key to what we're talking about. John 7, it says on one day, verse 37, on a great feast day, often New Testament experience is tied in to Old Testament days. Like the day of Pentecost, that was a day in Jewish, it was a Jewish feast day when Jerusalem was filled with thousands of Jews. God acted on that day. Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover. Often these great events tie back into the Old Testament. Here, on this great day of the feast, when thousands are there, Jesus shouts out suddenly, in verse 37, If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so if you were here, if you were here that day, you know, you're, you're longing for more, you've heard Jesus, you've seen the life that's on him, and he says, anyone thirsty, come to me. So yes, please. And if you'd pushed through the crowd, what would have happened? If you yes, Lord, yeah, I'm thirsty. He'd have said, well, not yet, actually. Not yet? Yes, not yet. And you might be tempted to think, am I not worthy? Am I, am, am I not good enough? It's, and they would have said, nothing to do with you. I haven't yet been glorified. He hasn't yet been exalted on high. He hadn't ascended. He hadn't been enthroned. It was to do with him. That's why the delay. And on the day of Pentecost, when Spirit fell upon the 120 in the upper room and they spill out into the public and begin to preach, Peter says this, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, now he being exalted at the right hand of God, glorified, has poured out this which you could see and hear. This has now happened. The day has dawned. It's begun. It's now, here, now. So on that day, the Spirit was available. And from that time on, no one was ever told to wait for the Spirit. No one was told to wait for the Spirit. It's available. The Holy Spirit's available. Uh, I wrote a book called The Spirit-Filled Church. I think it's around the table somewhere. And uh, I had a call from an American pastor recently. He said, I'm a pastor. I was at a conference. They referred to your book. I've read your book. Uh... And he said, I, I saw it. I thought, oh, you can be filled with the Spirit. He said, I prayed on my own. I said, oh, God, fill me with the Spirit. He said, this is very different to my tradition. So I said, fill me with the Spirit. He said, and I've been speaking with tongues ever since. Can I please Skype you? What do I do with this? So I was Skyping this American pastor. He just saw what it said and said, yeah, it's for me. It's for me. I remember praying with a couple from the church at home. And they said, would you come around to our home, speak to us about how we can be filled with the Spirit? And I said, yes, of course. And I went to their home, and I'm, I'm, I'm explaining it. And halfway through the evening, the guy says to his wife, uh, darling, would you just make some coffee for us? And she said, sure. She goes to the kitchen, and she comes running back in from the kitchen. She says, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. And she's not talking about the coffee, okay? <laughs> She'd heard enough. I hadn't even got to praying for her. I hadn't finished my explanation. The Spirit fell. She just saw it's enough. It says in Galatians chapter 3, did you receive the Spirit through works of the law? 
in other words, through being very religious, or by hearing with faith. It's very obvious what he's, what he's saying. He said, you, this church in Galatia, they're absolutely filled with the Spirit. Miracles are happening. All sorts of things are happening. Now, how did you receive, he's asking them. Because they're being tempted to go back into law and legalism. Just, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it through keeping the law? Or by hearing with faith? And the obvious answer was, they received the Spirit by hearing with faith. You could be receiving the Spirit while I'm talking to you. When you suddenly, it's for me. It's for me. I've been in situations where you, you're going to pray with people at the end of a meeting. You're going down the row and you're just praying for this person and this person over here starts praising God and you like, I haven't got there yet. You receive through hearing with faith. Come. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. If you come that day, say, yes, I'm thirsty. He'll say, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. But now, there's no not yet clause. That's over. That's finished now. Now, hey, Jesus is saying today, to you and to me, if anyone's thirsty. It doesn't say if anyone's holy. It doesn't say if anyone's a very special Christian. I mean, Simon Peter was hardly a special Christian. Just a few few weeks earlier, he said, no, I'm not with him. And the Bible says he cursed and swore and said, I'm not with him. I mean, qualified for a blessing? You think, how dare you? No, he's ready. He's, He's ready for the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes people say, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. How long are you going to wait? Simon Peter's a mess. He's denying Jesus. He's ready for the Holy Spirit. See, it's not like, oh, perhaps I'm not ready. Hey, come on. Simon Peter had just said, I'm not with Jesus, though Jesus had warned him. Jesus said, now look, watch and pray, Peter. It's going to be, no, 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 I'll be all right, I'll be all right. Before the cock crows, ah, forget it. Hey, he missed it completely. He's a bit later, he's full of the Holy Spirit. So please don't think this morning, well, I don't know if I'm worthy. I'm not a very good Christian. Simon Peter was not a very good Christian. And Jesus didn't say, wait, because you're not ready. He said, wait, because I'm not yet glorified. After he was glorified, no one was told to wait. For myself, I mentioned earlier, I went to see this guy. And I said, come, come to my church. So the next Sunday, I went to his church. And I, I was prayed for. And, and to be honest, I'll just say a little more than I need, perhaps. I'll just say, I, I was prayed for. And, and Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. And I thought, oh, this guy's going to do it for me. I mean, he's the man. And I had that kind of attitude, he's the man. And other people were at this meeting, as I was, and he started laying hands on people. And I thought, well, here he comes, here he comes. And he laid hands on my head. And guess what I felt? Hands on my head. <laughs> and then he went on to the next one. I thought, oh, uh, and, and, and I'm waiting for him. And Jesus said, come to me. Now, in the Bible, the laying on of hands is perfectly biblical. But for me, in that moment, I thought, he's going to do it for me. Jesus didn't say, someone will do it for you. He said, come to me and drink. He who believes in me. You come believing in him. You come on the basis of Galatians 3. We receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We say, Lord, I'm coming to you to drink. I'm coming to receive. And then it says, 
out of, it says, they that believe, out of their innermost being shall flow rivers. It's like this new dimension. Well, some people have said, I was praying with one lady, she got filled with the Spirit, she said, oh, it's like rivers. I can see what that verse means now. Not quite sure that speaking in tongues is what's talked about here. But speaking in tongues often accompanies the coming of the Spirit. I don't know that we have permission to say it always does, because that's not obvious from the Bible, but it often does. It often does. So when I'm praying for people, I expect that to happen. But that's not, that's not the major thing. The major thing is this. We come to drink of him. We come to receive from him. For me, my big issue was, I want to witness. I know for me, my life took a radical new change. And uh, I, I remember a few weeks later, we, I was at this Baptist church, lovely, lovely pastor, wonderful, godly man. And we went away for a church weekend or a youth weekend, as was called. And uh, I was in the youth group. And uh, I'd have been about 21 and that kind of age group. And uh, we were away for this weekend, and the program said we'd go for a walk Saturday afternoon. Well, it was England, wasn't it? So it's raining. So he said, oh, we'll, we'll put on a spontaneous meeting. Let's just sit around. We sat in this big room, and there's about 70 young people just sitting around the room, armchairs on the floor and all the rest of it. He said, let's just have a conversation. Then he suddenly turned to me and said, Terry, something's happened to you lately. What is it? I thought, oh, Wow. Gosh, that's scary. Uh, so I've been praying for a chance to witness, but I don't want to offend my dear Baptist pastor. And, it's, you know, I'm talking about 1962. That's a long time ago. And uh, so I told my testimony, which in short was, I'd been to the Pentecostals, they'd laid hands on me, and I speak in tongues. What? <laughs> so when I'd finished, I didn't say it like that, but when it finished, it's like silence in the room. And I thought, now what? And... Uh, my pastor said, Terry, you must lay hands on all these young people and I will come at the end of the queue. Very godly man, very humble man. And I had the joy of laying hands on several people, of those young people. And the young people's group came alive. And we started going on a Sunday afternoon down to that seafront where those elderly people had been. And some of the girls could play guitar and they sang and I stood on a box and I preached the gospel. And I thought, I can't believe this. Life has changed completely. The thing I longed for, the freedom to witness, it was the beginning of a no, another phase, another phase for my Christian experience. And beloved, it may be you're thinking, where do I fit in this? Where do I fit in this? Let me just tell you one, one testimony and I'll close. I'm hitting the nail on the head here for time, I think. And uh, I remember a girl came got became a Christian one morning meeting. We, used, we were meeting in a, a building in those days in Brighton, which we didn't own. And we just hired it for a season. And uh, she became a Christian. I had the privilege of leading her to Christ at the end of the meeting. And then she said that strange thing to me. She said, is there more? I said, why are you asking? She said, there seems to be a power in this meeting. I said, that's fascinating. I said, yeah, there is more. Uh, and we arranged for her to come to my home the following weekend, the following Saturday. She turned up the next Saturday. She brought her roommate. She was a student. She brought her roommate with her. And her roommate said, I'd never met before, she said, Celia is so transformed. I'd like to become a Christian. And I, I just showed her how to become a Christian. And she, she, she cried a bit, and she became a Christian. It was very beautiful. And then Celia said, hey, hey, don't forget what I'm here for. Hey, hey. So I, I opened the scriptures with her. 
and went through it with her, and she said, great, can, can we pray now? I said, yeah, let's pray now. Then this girl who'd just been saved, like 20 minutes, she said, will you pray for me? I said, yes, of course. I mean, with Acts 19, you can't say, oh, no, you have to become a more mature Christian. No, no, the Bible says. Directly they were saved. They laid hands on them. And so I laid hands on Celia, who'd been saved like six days, and her friend, who'd been saved like 25 minutes. They both got filled with the Spirit. They both started singing in tongues. They both went on their way very happy. Beloved, the promise is to you. That's what it says. The promise is to you. That's what Peter preached. The promise is for everyone that the Lord our God shall call. It's a promise that God wants to give us His Spirit. He wants to empower us. And if you are thirsty for that, we will be drawing this meeting to a close shortly. And we just invite you, if you'd like to be prayed for, that you come and be prayed for. There are people here who pray for you. I'd love to pray with you. Let's come and drink. Okay? Let's stand to sing. We're going to sing. Paul, is that how it works? Yes, please. And it may be, as we're singing this song, you think, I'd like to be prayed for later. And so there's no emotional pull here. It's like you either would like to be filled with the Spirit or no thank you kind of thing. If you'd like to be, and it's never happened to you before, and you'd love to be prayed for, I'd like to invite you forward. And then... And then Children will be collected and stuff. And I'd like to give a few more words of explanation to those who come. And then we'll pray for you. Okay? So let's just sing. Right, Paul?